And it's her daughter's boyfriend's husband. Yeah, uh, dad. Dad. Jeez, you're screwed up. <laughs> Let me draw that arrow again. Her daughter's boyfriend's husband. <laughs> That's complicated. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Really? Is it not young Sherlock Holmes? No. It's all Maniacs all the time. Okay, all Maniacs all the time. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. And this episode has lots. Yeah, and as usual, if your kids can watch the episodes, they can handle the podcast. So we're looking at The Fisher King, episode seven of... Season seven. Season seven, seven, episode three, sorry. Filmed in September and October of 2003. The broadcast date was the 11th of January, 2004, to 10.17 million viewers we have a couple of themes that we want to dig into here so we're going to do this a little bit differently well before we begin okay Sarah, i have something i have to tell you okay i know we've been married almost 15 years now uh-huh but roger hellman is my father <gasps> he's my father too what <laughs> you're gonna have to shoot a flaming arrow to fix this <laughs> how is roger Heldman? The, the father of everybody. And he, he doesn't appear in this story because I think the poor man died of exhaustion. <laughs> you don't know this, guys, but Mark is sitting in, uh, with a family tree in front of him that he created just yes. to keep the relationship straight. I created a family tree. It's going to be useful. Yes. Uh, what we want to do is to dig into a few themes. And before we do that, um, we want to just give a brief overview of the episode in case you didn't just rewatch it recently, just to get it familiar in your head. Give ourselves some things to talk about. Where does this take place? So this takes place in Midsummer Priors, mm-hmm. the, pow- the the pub that is mentioned just once is the Plow. Yeah, and it's really the story of young Sherlock Holmes, who is actually David Hartley Reed in the story. The yes, actor, the actor played young Sherlock Holmes. Yes, who he, he was also a lawyer in Seat of Chucky in two thousand four. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the movies with the evil doll with the red hair. Didn't know that. Yeah. There's a little bit part for you. And he wants to try to rekindle his relationship with his wife. And he's doing this by enacting a ritual on a barrow owned by his aunt. Mm-hmm. His wife, Miriam, is played by Rebecca Sayre, who is married to Roger Allen. Oh, Thursday. Okay. She's yeah. married to Thursday? Mm-hmm. Has been for a long time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. To do this, uh, he must first, basically, the first murder is of his half-brother. Right. David Hartley Reed's dad excavated the mound in 1970 and supposedly found a chalice and an arrow. Then Roger died Yes. In that barrow, it collapsed on him and he died, right? Yes. And the chalice and the arrow go missing. Missing. And David Hartley Reed has basically dedicated his life 
to recovering those things and to telling the story of the mound. And he's all into Celtic mythology now, inadvertently married his sister, and now thinks that on Midsummer, if he shoots a flaming arrow into the rising sun, it will rekindle their relationship. And as he does this, he is killed. Yes. So first we have we have the two couples, right? We have David and Miriam, and we have Vanessa and Gareth. They're not a couple, but they're a pair. Gareth right? really wants them to be. Yeah. They're all related. They don't know it initially, but they all are children of Roger. And there's actually a shot right at the very beginning where they're all talking, which we accidentally paused on the last night, last time we watched this. At the book signing. At the book signing. And they're all there. And no one has any idea that they're related to yeah, each other. Yeah, they're four half-siblings yeah. standing there next to each other. So the first death is Gareth, who is by all definitions an asshole. He's, He's just tried to rape Vanessa. It is unsettling how the R word is not used here yeah, to me. No. And he's killed by having his femoral artery slashed by a spear that Harry. The spear. The spear that Harry was used uh, using just previously fishing, right? I, I want to talk about that later on too. Yeah, we'll get back to yeah. it. So Gareth dies. Then our next death. Yeah, our next death is David Hartley Reed. Right. Who's killed with an arrow. On top of the barrel. Through his back and, and out his front. It's such sorrow. Right. <laughs> he he shoots the flaming arrow into the sun, and just as it leaves his uh, his bow, an, an arrow comes from behind him, boom, right through him. No one looks left, apparently. They have a problem looking I, I don't know why they didn't just look left for the guy with the bow, but he rolls down the barrow, and he's dead. He's dead. And then our third death is... A guy named Lavery, who's from the Ashmolean Museum, who has sort of ripped off David's heritage by probably stealing the chalice that was in the barrow and claiming that it was found in a dig that he was running. Yes. And that, that is now, the chalice is now in the Ashmolean Museum, but the spear is missing, right? Yes. Um, and he wants to get it, so of course that's how he's involved. And we find out that the killer is actually Per Hansen, who is actually... Paul Hartley Reed. Paul Hartley Reed. David's dad. Right. Well, no. David's mom's husband. David's mom's husband. (laughs) And also is actually Charlie Gilbert from... From Lovejoy. Lovejoy. Yeah. (laughs) He's played by Malcolm Tierney. Who is great. I love him in Lovejoy. I love him in this. He's fantastically skeezy. Yes. He's from Manchester. And I always love... The fact that people from Manchester are called Mancunians. Oh. It's not quite as as good as being from Liverpool, because then you're a Liverpudlian. Yes, Liverpudlian. Which is very fun. <laughs> um, but he's a Mancunian. Yeah, he played Charlie Gimbert um, in Lovejoy from 86 to 93. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. He was also in this great movie with Richard Burton uh, in 78 called The Medusa Touch. I've seen that movie. Yeah, Richard Burton is a telekinetic novelist who accidentally causes disasters just yeah. by thinking about them. Yeah, I've seen that movie. But he's also an Imperial officer in Star Wars Four: A New Hope. Oh, I knew that too. Yeah, yep. he's uncredited, but he's in there. You yep. can see him. So yep. he was, he's in a lot of stuff. So that's our, second, our third Star Wars because we had Aunt Rue, mm-hmm. we had the UFO guy, the UFO guy, and now Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's Malcolm Tierney. He's the killer, and 
Scott disarms him at the end before he kills Miriam and saves the day. And that's it. Yeah, that's a quick recap. That's a quick recap. So if you haven't seen it in a while, you probably remember now because uh, Pear Hansen comes back to give the tour of the, the talk at the library that Joyce attends about yes, the white gloves, Arthurian legend, history or myth. Yes, and fakes a Norwegian accent for a little while and then reveals that yes, he's Paul. So we've got complicated family relationships here. Extremely complicated family <laughs> relationships. David, Vanessa, Miriam, and Gareth are all children of Roger Heldman. Of different mothers. With different mothers, yes. So Anne Heldman is his wife, mm-hmm. and they have Gareth. Right. Jane Willows worked for him and was in love with... She's in love with Nathan. Nathan. But she's raped by Roger. She's raped by Roger. When she's 16. And her child is Vanessa Stone. Yes. Who runs the bakery. Right. Paul is is in love with Harry, who is Nathan's son. David's mom, who's never named, who is Anne's sister. Yes. Anne's sister has an affair. With Roger. With her her sister's husband. Her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law. And that's Paul's dad Mm -hmm. and then miriam's mom no no you just said that's paul's dad nobody's paul's dad no no sorry you're right david's roger is paul's dad okay no no roger is david's David's dad (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit confusing the key is to know that these four people are half siblings yes okay but vanessa is in love with harry who is not her half sibling no Okay. And in fact, everybody's really okay with that relationship because they they're know not they're related. <laughs> they're not related. And they're like 15 years apart. So, hey, they, you know, she could be his mom if she started early, but Harry kind of acts a little immature, but not he's very handy. He does a lot of stuff. He does do a lot of he stuff. He fixes a dock, he hunts pike with a spear, mm-hmm. and he uh, gets the mill going. Yeah. And wears the same shirt the, the whole same show. shirt. <laughs> when he's got a shirt on. So you mentioned Vanessa and, and her mom, Jane Willows. Jane Willows is played by Linda Bellingham. Okay. Who's done tons of things. Yes. In the UK, she is most famous for being the OXO mom. Yes. She was in OXO commercials for years. If you're from the US and you don't know what OXO is, they are bouillon cubes used for flavoring and dishes. Yep. They're in Canada too, yeah. OXO cubes. And I watched just one commercial that was a then and now kind of, it was the last one she did in 2016. Perhaps and it made me cry. The saddest thing ever. Especially since the reason why it's so sad, and we'll, we'll link to it, but the reason why it's so sad is that the family is moving out of the family home because the kids are all grown and we're just about to send our kids off to yeah. college, so we're going to have an empty yeah, nest, too. Kinda, but we're not moving. It kind of hit. Yeah. Hit close to home there. She also um, made a couple of seasons of a show called My Tasty Travels with Linda Bellingham. Oh. In which she went around Britain in a caravan that she called Battenberg. Okay. <laughs> she, apparently, she had lots of fun doing it. I guess it so. like she had a lot of fun. So, okay. You, you want to talk about doors? Okay. Before I want to talk about... I almost slapped you while we were watching this. If you mentioned doors <laughs> one more time. Bef- I love you so much. We've been married how long? We've only ever gotten in one argument. I'm not kidding. 
One time we've raised our voices to each other, and I almost did it the other day if you didn't shut up about the doors. Though you have a point. Yes, I want to talk about doors. You've got a lot to say about them, so go in, ahead. In fact, I want to talk about one door in particular. Actually, it's a set of doors, it's, isn't it? It's the front and back door at Glebe House. Which is David Hartley Reed's house. They can't keep them closed. <laughs> They're it seems to be a thing in midsummer. Five times, and, and except the one time that it takes a key. Well, and Pear Hansen comes over and goes, sneaks in the house, and goes, "Oh, the door was open. I couldn't resist. The door's always open, <laughs> except in the very end when he reveals that he's the bad guy and he's got a key." And then they, they like five or six times, they're like they walk through the door and they never shut it. No, they just leave it standing open behind. And them. then. They, like in the shot in the background, it's open, and t- uh, two other characters reference the door being open all the time. Somebody is playing with us with these doors. <laughs> well, and it's a really beautiful. <laughs> and house. just because I have a picture, a diagram with a bunch of lines on it, does not mean I'm a conspiracy theorist <laughs> about the doors. It's clearly something going on about the doors. Well, and and so it's a beautiful house. It's a stone house. It's just gorgeous. So there's an outside door that is obviously added later, right? And the interior door is the period door. Right inside the front door is David's awesome hobby room. Yeah, so David's awesome hobby room has arrows in it, fly fishing equipment, and there was something... Skis? Skis. There's a bike. There are targets for the arrows. Like just right inside the door. Man cave. Man cave. Stuff that I would think you would keep in the garage or an outbuilding or something. Would David's man cave not be the barrow? Oh, (laughs) hearty har har. You're so funny. I thought that was funny. Yeah. You got got that out of your system? Okay. I won't talk about doors anymore, (laughs) I promise. The other set that I thought was interesting is the library. So... So Jane Willows works at the library where Cully volunteered driving the library mobile. Yeah, so this is Coston Library. There's a bunch of signs outside of it. And she's like an event says, director. She's the one who organizes the talk that Joyce goes to. Well, I'll tell you exactly what she is because they prominently place her sign. So first of all, Tom comes in on the street to the Coston Library and I tried to find that street. I looked really hard. There's a Barnados, which is like a charity shop. Okay. Um, but it's not there anymore. It's not where it, like they've moved oh. in the 15 years since the episode. Yeah. I don't know where it is. It's obviously somewhere in Oxfordshire, uh, but I couldn't figure out where. There's a sign that says, Coston Library, Monday through Saturday, 9.30, and it closes at various times. Um, and then there's notes about office out of hours returns. So now they do this thing with Jane to make sure that we know that she is the arts officer, right? Mm-hmm. She tells Joyce she's the arts officer. Mm-hmm. She runs the talk mm-hmm. with Pear as the arts officer. Mm-hmm. But there is no fewer than five art exhibition signs that are custom made for this episode. Well, and her name and arts officer is on a nameplate on her entry on her desk. Yes. So we <laughs> Just have. Just in case. We don't know. <laughs> we have the following art exhibit signs that are all made just for this episode. They're all very large signs. Somebody enjoyed making these. Like posters. Yep. So we have the new artist exhibition. 
the Costin Library Flowers and Bloom Art Exhibition, the Costin Library Contemporary Landscapes Exhibition, the Costin Library Modern Art 1920 to 1962 Exhibition. All of those have gallery hours of 12 to 6, Tuesday to Friday on the bottom of them. And I went back and looked at the hour sign on the front of the building, and those are wrong hours. <laughs> so the art gallery is apparently opened at different times than the library. Oh, okay. That's not horrible. It's not horrible, but it's not like, don't touch anything in this set sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is... Uh, Definitely interesting. But they're they're using those signs to show us that of all the things she's done. Yeah. Which, again, makes me ask how long Vanessa and Jane have been in town. Yeah, because we get the impression that Jane lives in Costin, but Vanessa lives in Midsummer Prior. And she set up a bakery. But all this time, Jane has not seen Nathan, who she's been in love with since she was 16, and it's her daughter's boyfriend's husband. Yeah. Uh, dad. Dad. Jeez, you're screwed up. <laughs> Let me draw that arrow again. Her daughter's boyfriend's husband. <laughs> That's complicated. The mill is also interesting. And I actually think it's two different buildings. One is a working mill. So Nathan and Harry live in the mill. Right. And Vanessa's trying to get the mill. Anne owns it. Yeah. Um, but Nathan and Harry live at the mill house. Yes. Which is attached to the mill itself. Yes. Which is working, apparently. Is a working mill. It made me wonder if this is the same mill that they use in the episode that Thursday's in when they're talking about renovating a mill. They never go to that mill. Oh, they don't They don't ever show it? They never I show they that mill. they walk past it once. But I, I was waiting for them to drop something that said, like, somebody tried to renovate it a few years ago, but he was loony. Yeah. So... It just made me think of Restoration Man, that episode where they're, that couple buys a mill and they're trying to renovate it and make it work again and how troublesome it is. Oh. And the fact that this mill is still operating is yeah. pretty impressive. I, they are amazing pre-industrial factories. Yeah. That's what they are. And I guess Vanessa wants to buy it and fix it up maybe to grind flour for her bakery. I don't know why else she would want it. I guess so. She has two kinds of bakery flour, by the way, for sale. It's called Stone's Mill. It's called Stone's Flour. There's whole wheat and regular. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed they that. They made packages for both of them. All I know is I don't want bread from a bakery where somebody touches it as much as she oh touches my that bread. God, she's got her hands all over it's it. It's like touch, touch, she's, squeeze, squeeze, you know, squish, she, squish. She's worse than Noel from the last episode touching the cake. That's true. Touchy, touch, touch. So Nathan Green, who is Harry's dad, is played by Jim Carter. Who is well recognized. You just called him Big Brows the whole yeah. time. He's married to Imelda Staunton, who plays Mrs. Umbridge in Harry Potter. Yep. She's also the sinning wife in Dead Man's Eleven. Yes. They they are well married. I, I think I put a picture of them in they've the, been married for the a show long notes time. for that. And they've been married for a long time. And he's been in everything, too. Here's just a taste. The favorites among the stuff that he's done. Downton Abbey. Yes. Of course. He's super popular and known for Downton Abbey. Yeah. He's in the Golden Compass in 2007. He yes. plays this big, like, burly, braided-haired guy. He's cool. huge. He's in Haunted Honeymoon with Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder. As everybody should. Yeah. He's in Grave Indiscretion with Sting from 1995. My favorite, though. 
Yes. My two favorite of Jim Carter's roles. Okay. <laughs> my personal, right? You could argue, but my personal two favorites. He plays the French spy in Top Secret with Val Kilmer. Yes, he does. And has the most outrageous <laughs> French accent and wears a beret the whole time. Fantastic. His most That movie is <laughs> under Appreciate it's like real genius. Yeah, it's just it's very smart. It's very funny and very fast. Yes, it's very fast. It's like airplane does spy movies. Yes, but he also plays Jennifer the Viking and Eric the Viking. Yeah, so you brought this up to me, and I would <laughs> I remembered that he was in he was in it. I didn't remember that he played. A woman bike. Yes. We need to watch that movie again because everybody is in it. If I remember right, he's got a blonde wig on that has two big braids on either side and like really outrageous lipstick. It's him and Jim Broadbent together. They're just so I'll find a picture of him and Jim Broadbent and Eric the Viking and list to it. Because if you haven't seen Eric the Viking, it's also an amazing movie. There are like a dozen actors and Eric the Viking, who have also been in Midsummer. Oh, absolutely. It's there's so many. Yes. So many people. All right. We I'm checking off my list here. Okay. Because I'm building up here. Doors. Because you know I got something good. I've been promised something good. <laughs> I I sent him an IM when I was doing my research and said, Oh boy, I got something good. It's a conspiracy <laughs> for this episode. It's crazy. <laughs> You don't know. You don't know how crazy what I've got is. I have no idea. I can't wait to hear. All right. Let's talk about Barrows. Okay. So describe the Barrow in this episode. The Barrow in this episode is meant to appear to be, oh, let's say 20 feet high. Yeah, I'd say. It's covered clearly with grass that was just recently put on it. AstroTurf. It's a set. Yes. It has some very non-convincing fake rocks around it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it has an interior that can be used to lit, and they take shots on the interior. And And it looks sort of like um, an altar. Yeah. Right? We've got two standing stones with a stone across it, and that's where the chalice and the arrow were found. Yes. I consider it the coffee table where the magic chalice... The spear and the magic helmet. No, there's no (laughs) magic magic helmet. helmet, No magic helmet there. And but it's sturdy enough that David runs up it and can stand on top of it. Yeah. I remember even the first time I saw this episode thinking, barrows don't look like that. Yeah, my very first note on this episode is this is no time team. Because most barrows are very worn down, right? No matter how pronounced they might have been when they were built. They're like mounds. They're very smoothed out over time. The, the ground rises to meet them, and they've probably been plowed. The stones have probably been robbed from them to use in other places. And like on Time Team, if you haven't watched Time Team, go watch them all. They're fantastic. But the early Time Teams, before they put the CGI graphics in there, they would like look at a field and there would be like ripples in there like hmm, six mounds and a, yeah and i'm like, <laughs> like the dirt rises up 18 inches how can you tell i'm like those are furrows from a uh, from a tractor a tractor nope, it's a mound nope, it's a mound so we think of these mounds as being places they're burial places yes. in the majority of cases and um, even when it was for like a leader of a clan like the equivalent of a king in the iron age yeah. they would have cleared a circle of turf they would have dug a ditch around it. That's kind of a symbolic separation of 
the sacred space on the inside and the common space on the outside. And then they would um, dig a hole in the middle. Sometimes they would line it with clay or with wood or stone, put the leader's body in there with ceremonial goods. Then they would have a big feast, a big dinner that they would serve around the mound, and then they would cover it. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it's so, a Celtic ritual. Right. And, and then later on... by the on, way, hi, druid. nocturnal druid, you sent us some awesome stuff this week. Wink, wink. Keep it up. I'm sure you know way more about this than I do. Yes. But we think of mounds as being places where people are buried. And even in a um, ceremonial mound like that for a leader, warriors at later dates would be honored to be buried at the foot of that mound, right? So yeah, when you, like, you're watching like a time team or something like that and they're excavating it, they start at the top, they do their layers, and they find levels of burial goods going down the mound, right? Because yeah. sometimes if, they would bury somebody else on top of it and build it up again. If you watch one time team, you got to find the one where they take vets from the uh, Afghan war and dig one of these mounds. Yeah. It is emotional. It's like treatment. And it makes you PTSD feel and stuff so like good. Yeah. And it's, they find really cool and stuff. And they find really cool stuff. It's a super great episode. So all that being said, I say, I, I say all that, I preface it with all that because in my head, the mound in this episode isn't what a mound looks like. That's yes. what I was thinking. Yes. I was wrong. Oh. <laughs> oh. Do tell. I was so wrong. You were so wrong. Um, There are many mounds that look almost identical to this except for the AstroTurf. Okay. Now, they are more gradual. They're smoother. Yeah. They, they, they ease into the landscape. This is kind of pyramid-like at yeah, some point. Yeah, they're a bit more gradual. And, and I'm going to butcher this. Okay. But there's one in Anglesey in Wales called Bryn Chelydew. Okay. We'll link to it. That looks almost exactly like this map. Oh, really? With the door and everything. Wow. Even closer, though, in Oxfordshire is Wayland's Smithy, which anybody who's ever been curious even remotely about Iron Age Britain has seen a picture of Wayland's Smithy. It is, it's not, it's, it's more than a mound, it's passages. Like, yes. It's like a mound over a bunch of stone passages. It almost looks like a catacomb built into a mound. It has a gateway and everything, these big standing stones that are part of the architecture. Yeah, the first time I went to England, um, I went to a place in... I think it was in Cornwall called Carnany Fagu mm. that was like that. So I thought this mound, you know, it's it's super fake. It's so obvious. And it's true that the stones that form kind of the doorway would have been covered with earth. Yes. So it has been excavated to reveal those. Okay. But otherwise... Maybe we're wrong. There's nothing wrong with this mound other than the fact that it's a little bit too pronounced. It's covered with plastic turf. It's clearly got some ribs showing in it, like two by four. And or it's something. surrounded by fake rocks. Yeah. <laughs> but the design of it now, they is do, pretty authentic. They do a great job yeah, on those big, fake rocks. Big fake rocks are hard to make. They, they Having do made some, great job on. But if this place actually existed, it would rival Stonehenge in terms of popularity. It would have been excavated long before 1970. Where, I can tell you that. Where you have corduroys and jean shirts. <laughs> Some antiquarian doodah would, would have dug it up way before. Have done that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you ready for my big reveal? Hit me. The spear exists. The spear exists? I'm about to show you a picture. Okay. For those of you listening at home, 
Sarah is about to hand me a picture. No. Okay. Here's the best picture of the spear I could find from the episode. Okay. Okay. So this is the spear from the episode. It's about a foot long. It kind of has a curved head at the bottom with some gold. It's leaf shaped and it has some circular scroll work added onto it. Yes. Now unfold the page. Sweet Jesus. That spear is in the British Museum. They direct, this is the spear. Wait a minute. This is the spear on the cover of the book. The top spear is the real one. It's, it's the spear on the cover of the book. I know. Wow. Yeah. So they copied it yeah. and made it into this spear. Yeah. But they left the picture of it on the book. Yeah. Oh. And you can buy a, a replica of it for 450 pounds. Well, geez, why don't we have one? <laughs> the only difference, and we'll post these pictures, but the only difference between the real one and the one that they use in the episode is the real one is worn away on one side. Yeah. Right? Because that's it's had the, some damage. The picture on the front of the book, it's worn away on one side. And the sketch in Paul Hartley Reed's diary yes. shows it worn away. So they clearly knew what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah. But why is the spear that Harry has complete? I don't know. When it's so clearly worn away, even in the sketches. Well, maybe that explains why David... Okay, so David... Why David doesn't recognize the spear he's been looking for his whole life? (laughs) Okay, so this is what happens. This is my biggest problem with this episode. I came to this episode again going, oh, this is the one with the stupid spear thing. David has spent his entire life Looking for the spear and chalice. Vindicating his father. He has to prove that the spear and the chalice were in the mound. He opens the diaries to the picture of the spear instantly. Mm -hmm. Right? He knows this absolutely. He goes out fishing and Harry has the spear on a stick. In the water. It's right in front of him. It's well lit. Sun, <laughs> it's a sunny dapp- day. Dappled sunlight he reflecting off the spear. Directly at it and goes, oh, What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you hunting it? Why are you trying to fish with a spear? <laughs> like he makes reference to the spear. <laughs> <laughs> the spear that's on the cover of his own book. So then Spe- Pear sneaks into his house. And puts the spear on the table, and David instantly recognizes it there as the spearhead. Yes, but not when it's on a stick. Not, it's just too different when it's on a stick. It's on a stick. I can't really recognize it. I don't know it. what it's, it is. It's on the cover of his book. <laughs> Take it off the stick, and I'll, I'll recognize it. Oh. This is not the big bombshell I have for oh you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> The fact that the spear is real yes. is not the big bombshell. Wow. Are you ready for the big bombshell? Okay. Okay. I looked into this spear because the British Museum is lovely. They have all their collections online. Yes. And when you find something in their collection, it has all kinds of information about when it was given to the museum, its measurements, what it's made of. Oh, super. Good where stuff. Where it was found. Yeah. All that good stuff. So I'm like, who donated this spear to the museum? Okay. And- Did I fall down a rabbit hole of awesome? (laughs) Okay. Okay? And this is absolutely relevant. Yes. (laughs) All right? Okay. Okay. So this spearhead was donated. Wait a minute. Did Roger Heldeman have (laughs) sex with some woman and they produced the spear? (laughs) It's not that relevant. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 
So this spearhead was donated to the, um, it was actually donated to the Museum of Ireland originally, and then it was okay. given to the British Museum. Because they both look Irish. Celtic. I'm, we're going to skip over the mixing up of Arthurian and Celtic in here. No, 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 no. There's a difference, and we're going to talk about that. Well, no, but, okay, but. But Britain and Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, that gets mixed up. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're somebody who knows a lot about history and how all those tribes mixed together and then went apart. Yeah. And became different tribes after the Romans and all that stuff. There's a there's whole books about that, right? Yes. Okay. So this spear was donated to the Museum of Ireland in 1931. Okay. By Captain John Ball. Okay. He claimed he found it in the Thames. Okay. 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 In London. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't remember where. Along the beach. No, in, no. in the water. Okay. He donated a ton of things at okay. the same time. He let the museum borrow it in 1931. In 1938, when he died, it was all donated. Okay. okay. So I'm like, who is this Captain John Ball? Yes. Who randomly find spears in the Thames. That are like 5,000 years old. Yeah, and beautiful, Yeah, right? Oh, boy. (laughs) I wound up reading an entire issue of the Journal of the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland from 2005. (laughs) I read a 113-page article called The Strange Case of the Stringford Loft Horde. Okay. Which is a hoard that the same Captain Ball donated to the Irish Museum. Okay. That was proven to be a complete forgery oh. within months of months. him donating it. Okay. So total fake. This guy started out as a mechanical engineer, went into the RAF in World War One, came out of that as a captain, became the biggest armaments dealer in the UK yep. by buying all the leftover armaments after World War I because there wasn't going to be another war. There's not going right? to be another war. And then sold them back to his own <laughs> government, right? He bought them at pennies on the dollar and then sold them back for he, World War II. He must have, like, I know in World War II there are, were war profiteering laws. Well, he figured out a way around them. Yeah. Because when he died, his estate was worth over $4 million in today's money. Damn. But the beautiful thing, the thing I was most interested in, is the same guy who donated this beautiful spearhead that has been authenticated, that is real, started out by donating shit that he made in his shed. Well, and this reference, the episode reference Piltdown Man. Do you know Piltdown Man? Yeah, and it's a complete hoax, too. Yeah, so Piltdown Man is a Royal Academy hoax where they were trying to find Darwin's missing link. And this one dude found a skull that he says was the missing link, but turned out to be a human skull and an orangutan jawbone. And that he put together. And in one of the greatest moments of trickery and hoaxing, one of the Royal Society people who bought this hook, line, and sinker mm-hmm. said, this would really be proven if we had a tooth. And like three weeks later, the same guy shows up again and goes, I found a tooth. I found a tooth. <laughs> Just happened to, you know, find one. What do you know? It's a coinkadink. So this guy, Ball, he comes back. 
his first job is he becomes a chauffeur to Lord Londonberry, right? Okay. And they they live, uh, you know, he works for Lord Londonberry. They live at an estate, you know, outside. And Ball puts this ad in the newspaper that says, cut this out. It may be worth money to you someday. That's what it says at the top. Okay. And that he will buy all fines from plows, from fields, whatever. If somebody finds something, he'll buy it. Okay. Because this is before the fine, the antiquarian fines laws in the UK, okay. where you have to call the museum and have it, yeah. you know, authenticated. And all like that if stuff. you if you're a treasure hunter or a detectorist in England, and you find something of significance, if you find a hoard, which is more than five coins, more than five coins, or a piece of jewelry, I yeah. think, uh, you got to call a museum. Right. This guy was so audacious that he boasted of how, quote, amusingly he has taken in the stupid authorities of Dublin Museum. Nice. He sold them this hoard that he claimed he found for 200 pounds, which is about $3,800 in today's money. And immediately these guys are writing letters. The museum officials are writing letters to Lord Londonberry saying, I know he's your friend, but this thing is clearly not not." not real. Yeah. Um, we're going to melt it down. We think it's worth about 20 pounds. Okay. <laughs> this is the same guy who then donates thousands of things. Yeah. To the museum, including the spear. Yes. All right. It's just his, his story is incredible. Well, we'll, we'll link to a couple of things that we can make reference to like his Wikipedia page. And- he sold armaments to China. Though he didn't like them because they didn't pay on time. <laughs> he sold them to Japan, who he liked because they paid promptly. The world's biggest independent arms seller. Wow. But when he died, his obituary listed him as a mechanical engineer. That's what he wanted it to say. He wouldn't fly unless he could fly his own plane. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't travel. Just insane. He died at 55 but man, if you, we'll link to the article because Captain John Bell is fascinating. Bell or Ball? Ball, sorry. So, um, Captain John Ball is fascinating. And this spear would not exist in this episode if not for him and yeah. all of his armaments, stealing, yep. antiquarian it's looting. It's clearly related. They're forgery. clearly making reference to it. Yep. That's fantastic. It's it's awesome. So uh, let's talk about Midsummer. Okay. You, do you mean Midsummer or Midsummer? Okay. So the flyer that David Hartley Reed prints up doesn't it spell Midsummer the same way twice? Yes, it does. And that's Even, wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. So Midsummer. Yes. S U M M E R. I'm only going to talk about the UK version of the Midsummer festivals. Scandinavia and and European countries have completely, you know, historical. Midsummer um, celebrations. Okay. By the way, if you're going to do Midsummer murders research in the future, be aware that you will look at Midsummer the movie. Summer, which Mid- is a Scandinavian spelling. Midsummer festivals, mm-hmm. uh, S U M M E R, and then Midsummer the television show. Mm-hmm. Like it's all over the place, and the subtitles are all correct. Yes, Google finally has learned that when I type in. S-O-M-E-R. I mean S-O-M-E-R. And not, <laughs> did you mean S-U-M-M-E-R? No, I didn't freaking mean S-U-M-M. Well, except this time. God, for- <laughs> God forbid. God forbid. There's an actual murderer in the UK who starts killing people on Midsummer. We're doomed. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of fake headlines then. 
the Midsummer Festival in the UK is usually separate, celebrated on June 24th. Yeah. Now, you looked up when the sun goes down and comes up on that day. Yeah, June 21st, I looked up the sun comes up and goes down because that festival, the... It's the, like seven hours long. Joyce and Tom are hanging yeah, out in the dark. The sun goes down 928 mm-hmm. on that day, and the sun rises because they're there to the morning at 446. That's a long night. That, there are no the Barnaby, chairs. The Barnabies have been out all night, and all they've had to eat is a hot dog. Yeah. And then Joyce goes home and he's got to investigate another murder. Yeah. In the UK, Midsummer Day is traditionally what they call a quarter day. And as you would expect, there are four quarter days in the year. Yes. It's once every quarter, right? Yeah. So on March 25th, which is the first one, that's Lady Day. Okay. June 24th is Midsummer Day. Yep. September 29th is Michaelmas. And then December 25th is Christmas. Okay. Right. So that's how the quarters are divided. By the way, we're recording on Pancake Day, so enjoy your pancake races. Nom, nom, nom. So originally, once the UK became Christian, Midsummer Day turned into a celebration of St. John the Baptist. Yes, the way it is in the Roman Catholic Church. So St. John the Baptiste Day in Canada, in Quebec, is celebrated the 24th. Mm -hmm. Which is when it is in the UK, too. And I know this because it's the day before... My birthday. Yep. So. so traditionally, they would make three kinds of fires okay. to celebrate midsummer. One of clean bones and no wood, okay. which would be called the bonfire. Bone fire, bonfire. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Another of clean wood and no bones, and that's called the wake fire. Okay. Because it would stay, they would keep it lit all night and they would stay awake by it all okay. night. And the third is made with both bones and wood, and it's called St. John's Fire. St. John's Fire. So, what about St. Elmo's Fire? No. So the, the bonfire, the, the I'm fire. I'm a man in motion. The fire that they have in the episode is actually a wake fire. Yes. Technically. Not a bonfire. Yeah. I've never been to a bonfire. Unless you've been to a cremation. Yeah. I don't think you've been to a bonfire. How do you start the bones on fire? A lot of gas. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Lighter fluid. Whatever that stuff that David's putting on the arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Turpentine. Something. I don't know. <laughs> Something flammable. I'm not sure what they mean by clean bones. I guess that means that there's no meat on them. I guess. Mm, wouldn't smell very good. I don't, I don't think. want to cook bones. No. <laughs> and a mix of them. I don't no. think that would be even any better. No. So, yeah, so it's a wake fire that they've built, and it keeps them awake all night, okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Cool. The other um, interesting reference in this, in this episode, which is the title of the episode, is The Fisher King. Yes. And knowing what I know now about The Fisher King, I have some bad news for Gareth. Uh-oh. What's up with Gareth? Because if he had actually had the injury that The Fisher King had... It would not be his femoral artery that was cut. It would be his penis that was cut off. I was thinking that probably it's penis, not femoral artery. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's your femoral artery that bleeds out if somebody, you know, just lops off your junk. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But the the scene of Pear with the spear stabbing him over and over again is completely different if you think he's cutting off his junk with that spear. Yep. You got your legs crossed yet? <laughs> Though, based on, like, you know, 
based on his previous actions, that would make almost more sense. Yeah. Because yeah. the idea is that the the legend of the Fisher King, it all implies that he's not able to father the next generation. Yeah. So he's infertile now. Okay. Right? Because his junk has been cut off. It's Maybe a, somebody should have cut Roger's junk off. Yeah, really. It's a genital wound. And there's lots of different versions of that story, but but basically... But Per calls it a different kind of wound. Um, he calls it the dolorous wound. Yes. Right? Which is a doleful, sad. Yes, sad. It's the ending wound. I would be very sad. Well, a dolorous wound is a fatal wound. Yeah. Basically. So it, there's lots of dolorous kinds of wounds, but this is... A genital wound. It would make me very sad. But the idea is that then he's impotent, right? He's a king who can't have a child. He's a king who can't give fertility to his lands. And which so is the more, ceremony is to bring it back. Which is more David. Yes. Though David's not actually infertile. He's just not married to his sister. sister. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's practicing some, some prudence so there. So if, if you don't remember... David goes to the U- uh, the USA to do postgraduate work. Because that's where an archaeologist from the UK goes. Yeah. To the US where nothing is old. No, nothing is old here. And then he meets Miriam there. They fall instantly in love. They get married. And then they tell their parents by postcard. Apparently, they didn't have telephones at this point in time. Either. <laughs> it's more romantic to send a postcard. And then they find out that they're brothers and sisters and instead of immediately getting divorced they decide they're going they're going to live together as brother and like si- as any, brother and sister any judge if you went to any judge he would be like done yeah, i'm sorry no problem that's horrible we'll annul your marriage right now yeah i can only imagine what the people at home were thinking when they got the postcard you did what <laughs> excuse me yeah who? <laughs> um, no, come uh, home right now. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. Yeah. But you might know her. <laughs> and their mothers must have been dead by the time they got home. Otherwise, uh, they would have put a stop to that whole living together thing, I would think. David's mom and Miriam's mom get barely a passing, like they really get short shifted in mm-hmm. this episode. But that that whole deal. So the, I, the idea that the Fisher King would be involved in some kind of ceremony that would restore that, it, it fits. So, yeah. th- so the, the title here, it works. Yeah. Unfortunately, the way it actually happens in the myth to restore and heal the wound of the Fisher King, you have to pour the blood from the spear on the wound. Oh, on the junk. You got to pour the blood on the junk and that heals it. And where's the blood come from? That I wasn't real clear about. Okay. But he's called the Fisher King because he can't hunt anymore. Yeah. He he just sits in a boat and goes fishing. And if you go visit him, you can go fishing. So with you him. need junk to to hunt? Yeah. How how good are you going to be at running around if your junk's been lopped off? I suppose. I think you're going to slow down a little bit. I guess so. I guess you lose the killer instinct. Without, you know, the antibiotics and all that uh, stuff to help you I heal, guess. I think you'd be a little slowed down. I guess. <laughs> I don't really want to experiment with that. So so Gareth should have had his junk cut off, and uh, David clearly does not understand the whole myth and how he's going to fix this thing. I could find no reference to a flaming arrow into the sun to fix problems. Uh, well, it's clearly th- what you need to do. 
Well, he's obsessed. He is. He's driven mad. His sister is absolutely right. Like, at, at first you feel like, oh, poor David's kind of a hippie guy. But then you really realize that because of his unrequited love for his sister, he's been driven mad. He's nuts. He's obsessed with fixing it. Yeah. And, and fixing it is not dissolving the marriage. Fixing it is somehow making her not his sister. Yeah. Which he thinks he's going to be able to do magically. Well, and everybody when, knows that that's not possible. When she throws that dollar store ring in the river. Uh, wow, that's a cheap ring. Wow. <laughs> it almost bends when she takes it off her yeah, finger. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but the title makes sense. Yep. Cool. Yeah. The, the bar, the pub should have not been the plow it really should have been like you know arthur or something well the bookstore is called the golden bow so ah there's another version of this myth that involves uh cutting off the fisher king's father's head oh and carrying it around and it continues to tell entertaining stories and keep people company oh good on him yeah you know but and his dad was called bran the blessed like Brian Blessed. It just made me think of Brian Blessed's head. <laughs> if Brian Blessed's head was still talking after I took it off. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I would carry it around everywhere. <laughs> Sorry, son, that your junk got cut off. <laughs> if, if you're American. Okay, everybody in the UK knows who Brian Blessed is. Oh, yes. If you're an American and you don't know who Brian Blessed is. Well, first of all, he's the hawk guy. He's the king from, of the hawk guys from from uh, Flash Gordon. But he is the very definition of a big, burly British guy who's loud and boisterous and fun. He has a smile that goes literally from one ear to the other. He's the largest mouth I've ever seen, and it's always smiling. And you, you cannot but fall instantly in love with him. <laughs> That's the Fisher King. Well, there's a couple of things. So Ashmolean. Oh, yeah. So the, they actually go to the Ashmolean. They go, there's film of uh, Barnaby and Scott going to the Ashmolean. Yeah. And they go inside, and it is in the Lavery's office. They also have thousands of Ashmolean posters, mm-hmm. but that's clearly not in the Ashmolean. Right. They clearly filmed walking up to it, and that was it. Yeah. Do you know what's at the Ashmolean? Lots of things. Like, do you, do you know a couple of things that you might you might have an idea of what's there? No. Okay. Well, first of all, Alfred's jewel, yeah, which is talked about in Time Team, is there. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Alfred the Great's. It's a piece of jewelry that's supposed to be related to him. Mm-hmm. Guy Fawkes' lantern that, that he had under the House of Parliament is there. Nice. Uh, and then there's a crossover with. Lewis here. If well, you, Lewis takes place in Oxford, so yes. that makes sense. So Lewis takes place in Oxford, and he they have an episode, I, I wonder if you remember this, where they go, there's a postcard of a painting sent to them, and it's called The Hunt in the Forest. Oh, uh-huh. That painting is actually at the Ashmolean. I think they also have all of... Um, uh, J.R. Tolkien's stuff because he wrote when he was in Oxford. Yes, and they have a very famous uh, apothe- a- apotheosis of Germanicus there. Mm-hmm. Also, there's some really cool stuff. I I didn't go to the Ashmolean ever. That I've I've never been to Oxford, but if we get back to the UK, I would like to go to the Ashmolean. So we got three corpses. Yes, Gareth, David, and Lavery. 
Yeah. Gareth is stabbed. David is shot with an arrow. Lavery is drowned in the mill. Yeah. Who's the best? It is by far Lavery. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Like he is discolored, non-moving. And face down in face water. Face down in water. They he, flip him over. It's not a dummy. It's him. Yeah, they flip him over. He's not gasping. No. <laughs> And granted, he may have only been face down for two seconds, but he's wearing a full suit, bow tie, shoes, everything. Yeah. Face down in the water, even for a few seconds. It's, so Lavery wins best corpse of the week. Now, and now it's not Lavery who gets knocked into the chute and goes out into the river. No. That is some <laughs> bulky, big old uh, stuntman. Stunt yes. <laughs> Barely fitting into the suit. <laughs> there must be work for slight stuntmen. Yeah, I'm sure. Because there's body doubles. You would think that most stuntmen are big burly guys, and not all actors are certainly like that. Right. So, so they they need. But this is the kind of guy who might be you know driving a vehicle dressed as a woman in Midsummer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For example. After the credits, the girls win. The girls clean up. Okay. Pairs in jail. Pairs in jail. Gareth is dead. Paul. Uh, David, David is, is dead. dead. Okay, so, so Vanessa Stone and Miriam are the only real half heirs of the estate, the Heldman estate. Right. Which has the barrow outside the window. Yes. <laughs> so Anne might be sad. Yeah, Anne's going to be sad. She loses her son. She was sad already. Yeah. She, she said she felt guilty but she for now not putting kno- a stop to her husband's fornication. Yes. And she now knows who killed her husband. Yes. And it's not Nathan like she thought it was. But Miriam and Vanessa stand to inherit. Miriam's got that beautiful house. Yeah. And I think Nathan and Jane are going to get back together again. I absolutely think that they're going to be fine together. And Vanessa and Harry will be fine. Well, and Vanessa and Miriam find out they're sisters and... Like, they're best friends. So yeah, that works. So that, that works out. You know who else is best friends? Who? Scott and Harry. Oh my God, what happened? So they Scott, to juggle together. Scott goes to have a drink with Harry to ply him for information. And next thing we see, the two of them together juggling at hippie night. I'm like, what are you, best friends now? And then when Lavery is down in the mill, they're like helping each other too. You could do a montage of them to a song like Best Friends. They're like, you know, they're they like, seem to juggle all night, by the way. They're totally buddies all night now. Yeah. So Scott's got a friend too. So yeah. that's kind of nice. Yes. So that's the Fisher King, which is a whole lot of craziness. <laughs> I can't believe that ball stuff. That's amazing that, that, that the spear actually exists. We'll post a link to all of it so you can also fall down the rabbit hole that I fell down. Absolutely. Um, pictures and all that good stuff. What's our next episode? So our next episode is Sins of Commission. It's the author fair episode oh, with the that, horrible woman in the car. That blonde in the convertible playing that same song everywhere she goes, and it's horrible. It is a musically challenging episode. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that. A couple of things. First of all, just today, uh, we set up uh, midsummermaniacs.transistor.fm, mm-hmm. and that has all of our episodes on it, and it has all of our show notes on it. So if you're looking, uh, different people online have asked me where to see the show notes. Mm-hmm. But if you go there, you will see the show notes for every single episode. So that's midsummermaniacs.transistor.fm. Yeah. 
and that that has a featured episode and everything, and that will be automatically updated from awesome. now. Awesome. So it makes it easier because we do have a website, but I oh, I have a million things to do every episode, and putting it up on the epi- on the website was the last thing. And if you've ever been to our episode, it re- looks remarkably the same as <laughs> the transistor page. I don't mind using the transistor page. No, it's easier to update. So. It's all automatic. But we're also on the Midsummer subreddit. Yes. Though there's weird things afoot on mm. the Midsummer subreddit. It hasn't been posted to in a long time, and I'm not sure if anyone can actually post on it right now. Hmm, interesting. It's weird. It may we're be locked down. We're also on the Midsummer Facebook page, the Acorn Facebook page. Yep. Uh, and uh, Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, and our email is MidsummerManiacs at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voicemail there, too. Yep. Uh, so please anywhere else we find, uh, maniacs. And then the final thing I want to talk about is I, I cannot believe all of you constantly more and more of you listening to our show. It's so exciting. It is (laughs) unbelievable that the amount of downloads we had Monday because of the episode we dropped is the best by an, uh, a huge amount and then it just keeps going i just am absolutely stunned by everybody thank you so much the uh social media really picked up this week we got an answer to our question about where the house was oh, the we're... house with the little bridge yeah the house thank with you the you little put bridge. me out of my misery and uh a lot of other things in fact uh we were told that there's a red flyswatter swatter that's holding up one of the curtains in the barnaby's kitchen that we have to watch for. <laughs> that's interesting we'll have to so. look for that yep never mind that light switch in the middle of the wall that hooks oh, you so much god I hate that. it's thing. just so much fun to hear from you guys to hear your thoughts to hear your answers to questions things that you noticed that maybe we didn't notice you're yeah. certainly going to have some information about barrows and celtic people and midsummer festivals and all that good stuff we love to learn from you guys absolutely keep it coming this is a this is an episode that also has a ton of extras in it so if you were on this episode let us know yeah um but we have would love to hear about anybody's experiences with the show yeah so until next time bye maniacs bye maniacs Every time they mentioned it in the credits, they used the right, the, 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 um, the stuff at the bottom of the screen. The subtitles?